Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 this morning. The text is also there in the bulletin on the next page. Uh, last time we were in Matthew's Gospel, it was a few weeks ago, uh, we looked at the very important event of Jesus' baptism. So I don't know if you're like this, but uh, when I think of the Gospels and what they record of Jesus' life and his uh, teachings and his ministry, in my thoughts, uh, I tend to skip over the stuff that happens at the beginning of the Gospels, when I'm just thinking about what happens in the Gospels, as if the, the early stuff is just sort of the preliminaries uh, leading up to really the important stuff later. We want to hear what Jesus has to say. We want to see the miracles that he's done, etc. cetera. Uh, but the baptism uh, that we looked at a few weeks ago, the baptism of Jesus Christ is hugely important because it's where we see the absolute commitment of Jesus. He's the sinless one identifying himself completely with sinners, uh, in order to take our guilty confession upon himself, our guilty verdict upon himself, and to uh, share with us the blessed declaration that he has heard from his father at his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, so that we could hear those words as coming to us because of our union with Christ. Jesus was baptized not just for himself, but for us, right? He was baptized for the sake of fulfilling all righteousness for our, on our behalf to serve as our representative in restoring our relationship with God. Uh, So that's a pivotal moment in the history of God's dealings with us. And right after that pivotal moment, what's the very next thing that happens? What's the very first thing that Jesus does as our representative? Immediately after pledging himself to be our champion, God sends him out to do battle with the enemy in the wilderness. So that's what we'll look at this morning. This morning we'll talk about uh, what that looked like for him to face the devil's temptations Uh, And what it means for us in our relationship with God, what it means for us um, as we face temptations as the people of Christ. So let me pray first, then we'll read the scripture. Father, your word is how you communicate your love and your grace to us. So we pray for your spirit's help now so that your word would have good effect on our faith, uh, on our minds and in our hearts and in all our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. 
So Jesus was baptized. Uh, God the Father declared his full approval of his beloved son. God the Spirit descended gloriously upon Jesus. And then he led Jesus straight out into the wilderness to fast from eating food to the very limit of human ability, to the limit of survivability, 40 days and 40 nights, and then to face the onslaught of the enemy's temptations. Can you believe that a a good God would do such a thing as this? I mean, life is miserable at this moment for Jesus, and God led him right into it. Can you believe that a good God would do such a thing? How does it testify to God's love that he would put his son through such trials and temptations? That's a question that we all have to wrestle with. Can we believe that God is really good? So good that we would forsake any path to goodness other than him. Any other path to goodness apart from him. And that we would do that. We would forsake all other paths to goodness and find our goodness in God alone. And we would cling to him even in the midst of the most difficult trials and the most severe temptations. Jesus went into battle hungry. Right? That's the setup for his encounter with the devil is this 40 days and 40 nights of fasting from eating food. He went into battle hungry. We might think if God was going to set him up for success, if God was going to give him the best chance possible of facing the temptations and holding steadfast and staying firm and staying true to God, that uh, he would have filled his tank. He would have rested up. He would have been given every comfort to be able to go and um, go into the temptations, you know, refreshed and uh, strong and alert and on his best game. The only thing he had in the tank was the word of God. That's the only thing he's got at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights. He is literally starving. He is running on empty. Literally has nothing to strengthen him, to sustain him, except for what the Father has said to him. Except for the proclamation of the Father's love to him. And yet this was exactly what he needed to go and face the devil. It was exactly what he needed, and it's, it's all he needed. He was able to trust the Father. He was able to hold fast to God's goodness when the enemy presented him with other paths to goodness. The things that the devil is offering him, we could say they're, they're good things, right? Um, but the devil is offering an alternative path to those things than in his relationship with God and through submission to his Father. But Jesus held fast. He was able to trust the Father. And, he, and as he did it, as he did that, he wasn't just showing off. He wasn't just demonstrating that he is unique. He was restoring the human relationship with God. He was the new man who succeeded where all the old had failed. So I've mentioned uh, in this series before this, this word recapitulation, this theological idea. Uh, it's, it's been a way that the church has understood the atonement, what it is that Jesus is doing when he comes into the world and how it is that he fixes our relationship with God. Uh, It's been a way to describe uh, the church's understanding of the atonement, at least since Irenaeus in the late 2nd century, um, this idea of recapitulation. The idea is that Jesus rewrote the human story in his own story, in his own life. Jesus is the new human. Jesus is the true human. So where the old humanity failed in the face of temptation, Jesus has prevailed, and he's done that Again, not just for himself, but as our representative. So this idea of recapitulation is why Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, right? He's, he's reworking the story of God's people, Israel, who wandered the wilderness for 40 
years being tested in their faith, as Bill read about from Deuteronomy. But even more fundamentally, when we're talking about the stories that Jesus is rewriting with his own life, the human story, he was reworking the story of the original human being. That is fundamentally what he's doing. Adam. Adam was the old. Adam was the first man. And in Genesis 3, we read about his utter failure as the first representative of all humanity. Adam, the old man, he'd been placed by God in a lush garden. Jesus, on the other hand, the new man, had been led out into the desert wilderness to face his temptations. The old man, uh, Adam, abdicated his responsibility. He let his wife face the temptations when it was his responsibility to do that, to face the serpent, the devil. The new man went forth in the power of the Spirit to rescue his bride. The old man enjoyed the fullness of God's provision. He could eat his fill of any tree of a garden, anytime he wanted, any tree except for one. The new man was starving, and he needed to eat soon or he would die, because humans die after going 40 days and 40 nights without food. The old man enjoyed the fullness of God's provision while the new man was starving as he faced his temptation. The old man became suspicious of God. And he became selfish, self-centered. He became impatient, waiting further blessings from God. The new man submitted himself to God's will, even to his own harm. The old man disobeyed God in order to get power, in order to to become a self-made man, to reach out and and make himself, take for himself the power it would uh, take to make himself a self-made man. He disobeyed God in order to do that. The new man refused the devil's offer of power because he knew a different kind of power in his relationship with God. The old man caved the instant he was faced with a single temptation. The new man faced severe hunger and then three of the devil's best shots right in a row. The old man traded his relationship with God for a piece of fruit he didn't really need. The new man was hungrier for God. He was hungrier for God's word than for bread after going hungry for 40 days. The old man doubted and discarded God's word. The new man clung to God's word for dear life. The old man chased after the good that the devil held out to him. The new man trusted God alone for all his good. The old man spurned God and embraced the enemy of humanity. The new man resisted and rejected the enemy and conquered him and stayed true to God. Because of the old man's rebellion, angels were stationed to block his way to the garden, to the tree of life, to the glorious life-giving presence of God. He couldn't go back into it because there was an angel blocking his way. But because of the new man's faithfulness, angels were sent to minister to him. Angels would ultimately praise him in the garden of his resurrection, and ultimately they would cast their crowns at his feet as he ascended to God's own glorious throne in heaven. So where our first parents failed utterly and absolutely... Jesus succeeded utterly and absolutely. Where every single human being since Adam and Eve have failed, Jesus, the new man, has prevailed. God created humanity, and he called us to walk with him in faithfulness, and Jesus is the only one who's done it. And he's done it not just for himself, not just for his own relationship with God, but for us. As our representative, he's done it on our behalf. 
So it says in Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. That language is representative language. He's the one who represents us in God's presence. He's a sympathetic high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That means uh, that before he's an example for us, he's, uh, he's our savior. He's our champion. Right? So you might be familiar with the concept of champion warfare. Um, when the outcome of a conflict between maybe two great armies uh, is settled, not by those armies just destroying each other completely, but uh, it's settled by single combat duel, right? It, each each um, side sends out their best warrior, their champion, and whichever champion defeats the other champion in the battle wins the complete victory for their side, as if their side had won the battle in the war, right? So, uh, so everything is riding on Jesus as our champion. Everything depends on Jesus winning this battle against the devil. Jesus is the champion that we didn't deserve. Jesus is the champion we needed. Jesus is the champion who won against humanity's greatest enemy, the enemy who's defeated every single one of us through his temptations. And Jesus is the champion who, who uh, won against him in order to win this complete victory for his people, as if all of his people had won this victory. Jesus has established true faith in God. He's perfected true faith in God on behalf of his people, his people who fail tests, his people who fall to temptations. Our ancient foe, as we sing in our song, A Mighty Fortress, you know, he, he's easily prevailed against us in our individual duels with him. We crumple before the, the slightest temptations uh, to find our good apart from God. One tantalizing glimpse of good apart from God. Right? One stray thought, one quick heartbeat, one moment of weakness, one moment of pride, and the devil's got the better of us. But Jesus is true. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is steadfast. Even at the very end, he is the right man on our side. And he's already won the battle. Because he faced the devil's temptations throughout his life on earth, really, and, uh, until the moment that he found himself on the cross, falsely accused, dying for the sins of other people. And there again, he faced similar temptations. If you want to live, if you're the king, if you're really the son of God then just come down from the cross. Just exercise your will. Just work a miracle here. Could Jesus believe that God was good when God had led him to the cross? Could he entrust himself to the one who let him suffer such things and let him face such temptations as hanging on a cross and hearing words like that? Couldn't he just take matters into his own hands and reach out and take the power to make himself who he wanted to be and find comfort and satisfaction in life and goodness by simply rejecting God's word and God's ways. In the end, he had nothing but God's word to him. He had that word that was declared to him at his baptism clearly. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. In the end, Jesus clung to that. He clung to God's revelation of his love, that all the sufferings and trials and temptations, they didn't mean that God was against him or that God was evil. It didn't mean that there was some better path to good, to a good life, apart from God. Jesus insisted on the goodness of God. He was satisfied with the Father's word to him, even as everything was stripped away from him, even life itself. So Jesus is the new man who, as it says in Deuteronomy 8, lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is the one who does that. 
And he shares that victory of that life with us. He pursued his good in God alone, and he found it in his resurrection and in his glory. And he's opened up that relationship to us by his grace. Since he is first our champion, before he's our example, he's our champion, then our first response to him isn't, isn't how do we be more like him? That's a great response, but it's secondary. Our first response to him is gratitude and praise. Gratitude and praise. Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He wanted to do it, he came to do it, and he did it. And even though you fail to withstand temptations, in the very moment of your failure, in the very moment of your collapse underneath the devil's temptations and your sin, even in that very moment, you can know that's exactly why Jesus came into the world to do what he had to do. And you can know that ultimately what matters even more than your failure is Jesus' victory as your champion. And what relief that brings, what joyful thanksgiving, what strength that brings. Because, uh, as Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 18, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help us. Now, uh, we've seen what it looks like for someone to resist temptation now. That's what you see here. You've seen a human being resisting temptation and staying true to God. We, we know what that looks like now because of Jesus. Jesus didn't overcome the devil's temptation by arranging for ideal circumstances to give himself the best chance of success. It wasn't in ideal circumstances that he faced the devil. He didn't overcome the devil's temptations by playing psychological games with himself, the carrot and the stick kind of or by investing in behavior modification programs. He didn't overcome the devil's temptations through internet filtering or accountability groups. Jesus overcame the devil's temptations simply by clinging to God's word, by orienting himself fully on the Father, by being supremely satisfied with what he had heard from his Father, by trusting his Father's goodwill toward him. Jesus was able to face the devil because he was assured of God's love because he was fully persuaded by the blessed declaration that he heard at his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The blessed declaration was everything he needed. It was everything he needed to remain true to God. And his faithfulness is beautiful. And he shares that faithfulness with us by his spirit. He shares his own faithfulness with us by his spirit. In our baptism, in our union with Jesus, he has anointed us with his own anointing, He has shared the same declaration of God's love that he has heard. He's shared that with us. The same spirit of holiness that fills Jesus himself is ours. The same heavenly word that sustains Jesus himself is ours. So Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that's the way that a lot of the New Testament language talks about how to resist temptation, how to uh, refuse sin, how to forsake it, the, the way to stay true to God in the face of temptation. There's a lot of language in the New Testament about putting on Christ as if he were clothing, as if he were armor. So Romans 13, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Or again, in Ephesians 4, he says, put off your old self, and that language literally is the old man, right? The old humanity, 
Put off the old humanity, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and put on the new self, the new man, the new humanity, Jesus himself, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul talks about it again in Colossians 3. As we face temptation to sin, as we face temptation to abandon God and betray God, temptation to find our good apart from God, believers don't have to face these temptations alone. We don't have to face these temptations in our own strength. We can put off the old man, disassociate ourselves from the old humanity that fails, and we put on the new. We set aside the old sin nature inherited from Adam like an old garment, and we put on deliberately, consciously, through faith in Jesus, we put on the new humanity of the Lord Jesus himself. The new humanity that we see in Christ and that we share with Christ through his spirit, this new humanity trusts God with Christ's own trust for God. The new humanity believes itself beloved of God just as Jesus himself is the beloved son of God. The new humanity is satisfied with God's word, sustained by God's word, and is ready to live by God's word as the very bread that we need for life. The new man, Jesus himself, believed God's word, even while dying. And he believed it, and he entrusted himself to God because he trusted the God of resurrection. And the new man, Jesus Christ, has shared this resurrection with his new humanity, with the people of Christ, so that whatever test or temptation or suffering or trial we face, we can rest assured and be strengthened by the knowledge that we shall find our good in God alone, even if everything in life comes to an end right now. We will, we shall find our good in God alone because of the resurrection that's been shared with us. The absolutely God-centered life of Jesus Christ is open to you by faith. In union with Christ, we can withstand the same kinds of temptations. So just in order, briefly, these three temptations. In union with Christ, we can confess with Christ that we are utterly dependent on the word of God and we're utterly satisfied by it. Secondly, in our union with Christ, we can confess with Christ that we don't need to demand further proof of God's love for us. We have all the proof that we need in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, in union with Christ, we can confess with Christ that God is our only good and we will worship and serve him alone. So Ephesians 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, not in the strength of your own might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The new humanity of, um, of Jesus Christ himself, that's the armor of God. His humanity, his life with God. His steadfast faithfulness is your salvation and it's your strength to face the devil, devil's temptations. The right man is on our side, so put him on by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have spoken the same blessed word to us that you have spoken to your eternal son, your beloved son. Thank you for doing this, even though in and ourselves we have failed to stay true to you and we've not deserved to hear this declaration of your love and your approval. Thank you for sending your son to stay true to you for us. Thank you for applying his victory to us by your spirit. Please 
Help us to look to your son, Jesus, not just as an external example, but for our very life with you. Help us to know his faithfulness as our own, his spirit as our own, his relationship with you and his strength as our own. Help us to stand in Christ and to stand with Christ and to stand because of Christ against the enemy's temptations. Satisfy us and sustain us with your blessed word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.